Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, the QuantEdge.com, great DFS fantasy website. They, they started with football. They've got basketball going still at the NBA playoffs. Rocking and rolling over there, and now they're into MLB DFS. I write the batter breakdown five to seven times a day. Tons of great content over there, you know, multiple articles every day. They have the great tools, the lineup optimizer, the injury tool, the advanced stat tool, which is free for everyone to use, and they're still adding stats to that as we speak. They have an amazing Vegas tool, which helps you check line movement, can get you sneaky plays later in the day, and much, much more. And if you want to get the MLB season package for $124.99, promo code Bubba. If you just want to try thequadage.com for one month, your first month of all sports, so you get the NBA playoffs, you got uh, MLB, $19.99, or a five-day trial for $5.99. So go check it out, thequadage.com. Promo code Bubba gives you everything you need. Also, go check out Draft.com. It is a great way to play daily fantasy sports. It's Draft.com. Draft in your app store. Use promo code SD Sports for an entry to a free $3 tournament of your choice. You got NBA, you got NHL, MLB, NFL, PGA. They have them all. And they do snake-style drafts just the way you like them. And you never have to worry about ownership because you're the only one that owns them. Great way to do it. They also have auction drafts, best ball drafts, you name it. They've got it over at Draft.com. Draft in your app store. Promo code SD Sports for a free $3 entry of your choice. Also, if you give a rating and review over on iTunes, I'd much, much appreciate it. Really help the podcast move up the rankings and uh, all the hard work I put in. I would appreciate it if you could take just a couple minutes to move it up the ladder. With all that being said, welcome to Bench with Bubba episode 167 with Nick Jurley of the Pitcher List and FantasyPros.com. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 167 I have another member of pitcherlist.com joining us tonight to recap some mlb news some um current you know popular players and new new tools and stats over at pitcherlist.com and then going over some april standouts uh as we are into may now a month into the season in order to do so special guest you can find his work again at pitcherlist.com he's on twitter at nick g-e-r L-I-P-L. Nick Jurley, how we doing, man? Good, Bubba. Thank you for having me on. Super excited to be here. Yes, thanks for joining me. Um, I think I butchered your name again, even though I said I wouldn't. Shirley. Um, yeah, that was that, my bad. That, that, that was about 80% there. That's that's better than most people do. So. Yeah, I, 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 I grew up with a bad last name, so I tried my best to get it there. <laughs> and um, I apologize in advance on uh, how that goes. Um, at least your name's not Nick Mar- Margie, Marvigicious or Gicious. Oh, geez, I, yeah, I, I I've been I, struggling with that one. I think I said that one different every single time I've ever said his name. So um, <laughs> there we go. But uh, before we get rocking and rolling, why don't you let everybody know what you got going on these days? You know, you're over there at Pitcher List and we got some stuff, fantasy pros and all your other good stuff. What are you up to these days? Sure. So I've been writing uh, two articles per week for Pitcher List. 
uh, Monday and Friday. Typically one of them, I try to focus on like a specific player or players. And then the other article is more of a conceptual article going into, you know, developing new stats or kind of rethinking how we look at existing stats. And then, uh, yeah, I write once a week on Fantasy Pros as well, just a weekly StatCast roundup. So looking at all the, the risers and the fallers of StatCast from the previous week. I, I love that. Uh, I have to start checking that out more often than I do because I'll get bored and go down StatCast rabbit holes. I'm like, you know. Oh, boy. I like it's, you're, it's, you're, you're doing week-to-week stuff. That stuff, it's so much fun, the stuff you can either A, just try to convince yourself matters, or B, is just cool to check out, so. So that you're so right. And I have like my pre-existing biases and that's why I kind of like the weekly angle. It forces me to be a bit more kind of rigid and disciplined in how you look at it. Um, because you can't kind of, you can't change, you know, beginning dates and end dates to fit how you want it. It's like just for this week, these players did this in X-Woba, this in barrels, this in X-Velocity. Uh, so it's a good, good, good take. We're, um, when, when you're doing your, your X-Stats looks or, just your personal opinions, which ones do you try to focus on? We know x was a very popular one, but there's X-Slug, there's XBA for batters and all the other stuff for pitching. Which one kind of means the most to you, I guess, when you're trying to evaluate who was hot and worth you know digging into more possibly? Yeah, I think it depends on your sample size, right? So if, you know, one thing I've noticed, if you're looking at a week and like the best x performance of the week, I remember Mikel Franco was on there a couple weeks ago but he got intentionally walked five times that week. So like that kind of biased his ex-woba upwards. So I actually kind of like looking at exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. Um, yeah. You know, assuming the player has a certain minimum that they've hit over the previous week, um, or if you're looking longer term, the previous month, um, you know, seeing where that's coming in. But that's really a true indication of how well they're hitting the ball. And then maybe kind of, looking at their whiff rate in concert with that. I like it. I like it. I'll have to go peek at that one a little more instead of just doing my lazy approach on certain nights or just what's the latest updated leaderboard. Let's go with that. Oh, it's so uh, easy. I mean, it's so it much is. fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and you find those little darlings and uh, you never know when it's going to work. And like you said, it's, you have to be more disciplined with the week to week angle. So that's kind of cool to, uh, but at the same time that can lead you to someone a little sooner. I know we'll talk about a guy later that it kind of opened your eyes to a week or two ago. And you, you had him in an article recently, uh, and Luke Voigt. We'll talk about him a little later, but uh, sure. it is really interesting to break that all down. So let's get into it. We got the MLB news portion of the podcast, per usual, and as always, it's littered with injury list people. It's just the way the world goes these days. But first, it's not really an injury list; it's more a demotion. As Zach Godley is getting pushed back to the Diamondbacks bullpen, as he's just been atrocious this season. Yeah, and they're they're going to open up a spot for him. They might. Just go with a bullpen game this week, or there's rumor John Duplantier might get his big chance to actually stick in the rotation. Do you have any thoughts on this this move in Arizona? Yeah, I've never been a big Godly fan. I mean, just uh, forgetting the stats for a second, just watching him pitch, like, he he just falls off. It only like he falls over to the first base side every time he releases the ball. His mechanics are bad, um, and you know his control is pretty poor. So. I'm not. I'm not surprised. He originally came in the league as a reliever, if I remember correctly. So um, probably is a better role for him. And Duplante is really impressive. Um, you know, no one likes to focus on ERA anymore because that's just so like last year. But his career minor league ERA is 1.76 in over 200 innings. Um, you know, I don't know much else about him, but to be honest, that that's really good. 
And so I, I hope they roll with him in the rotation. Um, I don't see what they have to lose. Yeah, A, they have nothing to lose. And B, he flew through their system last year. I believe he started in high A, and he ended up in triple A by season's end. He pitched in the Arizona Fall League and just was was filthy. All the prospect guys all over Twitter, they were just drooling over him. Um, Chris Welsh, who's a, a D-backs fan, he follows him quite a bit, and he had a lot of good stuff about DePlantier. And um, I think this kid, I think this guy's definitely if, – if we find out that he's got a spot in this rotation, he's definitely worth an ad. Um, kind of part of me hopes it's a bullpen game on Friday and they wait to announce it next week and get him a little cheaper as a speculative ad. But if he's out there, I, I, I'd be willing to throw a shekel or two on him, at least in 12-team leagues, deep leagues especially. I think he's, he's worth a gamble. I'm kind of mad because when he first came up and had a longer relief role, I had him in for like a one dollar bid, and, and um, someone got him for two dollars in my league. And that's just mm-hmm. you know, I thought no one would even pay attention to him, so I just put a buck on it for no big deal. And someone else was at least kind of had the same mindset I had, and were just smarter than me. So, um, yeah, I'm curious to see where it goes. The kid's got good arms. He's gonna have kid hiccups. You know, Cal Quantrill's getting his his first little go tonight. But uh, I wanted to, people have asked me about him. And I think this is just like kind of a temporary deals are trying to rest the rotation. I know we don't have to talk deep on Quantrill and put it on the outline, but do you have any thoughts on this whole Quantrill comp coming up thing to make it the six man rotation for the week? Um, do you kind of see it the way I see it, or do you think there's more to him being up with the big club? Yeah, I mean it's tough to say. I, I, I looked into his minor league profile a little bit. You know, it's always tough because he was pitching most recently in the PCL, which you basically can't even evaluate pitcher stats in that league uh, because it's so offense friendly, but he didn't seem to have a ton of strikeout upside. So if I'm taking a flyer on a young pitcher uh, being called up, I I feel like I need to see, you know, a K per nine hovering around 10 to really get me interested because in most of my other leagues, like there's guys on the wire, MLB guys on the wire who, you know, are probably better options. So I'm not too excited about Quantrill, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, his savant data after this start and see kind of his velos and spin rates and kind of what he tries to do out there. Yeah, I'm with you. It'll be fun to see how it all pans out and um, at least give us a taste if maybe later this year he gets a full run, something to think about. Um, Washington Nationals, Anthony Rendon finally put on the IL. He's been banged up for over a week now, it feels like. They finally throw him on the IL retroactive to April 27th. Elbow contusion. The dude might have been the best hitter in baseball outside of like Yellick and and Bellinger. He's been hitting the ball so well. But um, are you you have any concerns here? Because I'm I'm personally not too worried about this, but uh, maybe you know something I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I mean I'm not too worried about it. It's 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 really like you said. It's really a shame. Is Rendon is one of the really special hitters in baseball. I, one of the you know areas of research I was doing for Pitcher List recently was looking at the relationship of a hitter's whiff rate and their barrel rate, you know, and finding that um, they're, they're very related, actually. The more hitters whiff, the more they barrel and vice versa. But Rendon is one of the few hitters in baseball, and there's literally like seven of them, who is able to not whiff and then hit barrels. And he's just been getting better at that last two years. So, you know, it's unfortunate that he, uh, you know, is going on the IL, but um, it doesn't sound like anything overly serious. So I wouldn't be too concerned. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. It doesn't seem like it's too bad. We'll keep an eye on it and hope he comes back rather quickly. Um, a guy that had a humongous spring and everyone was jumping off the board, screaming value, value, value. Lewis Brinson's already being sent back down to AAA to get his head right, to get his swing going. We know the speed's there, but he just has not been able to put it together in the bigs. It's like not the first time we've seen this from Lewis Brinson. And they called up Garrett Cooper, who's now hurt for a couple of days. 
with the Marlins. But do you have any thoughts on Lewis Brinson or even Garrett Cooper maybe? Um, yeah. Brinson, it, it, it's, it's a shame. It really is. And um, I, I always like Brinson. I mean, his his minor league resume is really, really impressive. Um, you know, he kind of had that trifecta of hitting for power, um, not striking out too much at a young age. Usually those guys transition pretty well to the bigs, but he kind of has this Byron Buxton thing going on now where it's just, it's just not, it's not even like he struggles. He's like, he's really bad. Um, you know, strikeout rate of 35%. Um, I can't really put my finger on it. It, it, it is a shame because as far as like baseline tools go, Brinson's up there with, with everyone else, but he's going to start getting passed in the system is uh, Monty Harrison. Uh, another, another outfield prospect is doing really well in triple a right now. So um, if he doesn't turn around, his days in Miami might, might be numbered uh, or he just might get passed in the system outright. Yeah, no, it, it's not looking good for him, which is crazy because he's one of the big pieces in that Christian Yellick deal and it's not working out so well now. So, Hopefully he figures it out sooner than later. Another piece that we've seen traded a few times in recent years is Malik Smith. And he's been with the Mariners this year. And we saw him play really well towards the end of last year with the Mariners. Things looked like he'd be a, a really nice fantasy asset. He was stealing bags when he was on base, but that was the big question. When would he be on base? And now he's sent down to AAA. They called him Braden Bishop, one of their top outfield prospects. But uh, a couple things here. Malik Smith, what are you doing with him? Because I've heard different people say, you add him, you hold him. If someone drops him, all these things, because – he's still so good or are you concerned this is more of a long-term thing than just a get your head right thing? Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, it's maybe personal preference here, but I just tend to fade all of these one dimensional speed guys um, like the D Gordons of the world, Smith, VR, um, you know, it's just, if once every two to three seasons, they seem to figure it out and put it together and get 40 steals and they're not so bad. Uh, but I, I just don't, I don't want to waste a roster spot on a guy like that when, you know, like two weeks ago, guys like Christian Walker and Hunter Dozier were on the wire. Like, you know, there's a lot of interesting talent available and for someone who's just so one dimensional and not even performing that well in that dimension, you know, I, I would cut bait personally. Yeah, it, it, it's tough I, because really he's not doing much else besides what you just said. Um, he, he's stealing a few bags, but nothing else is there. He's not, contributing all over the place and that Mariners offense has been electric and the fact he's not doing it's kind of scary but um in 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 this happening Braden Bishop gets to call uh, a guy that's sitting like a 292 hitter in the minors in his career a little bit of power and a good amount of speed so kind of another Malik Smith in theory right um do you with what you said on those kind of individual guys you probably wouldn't do it now if you were a team that was doing well elsewhere it needed steals would you look at a guy like Braden Bishop? Yeah, it's an interesting question, uh, Bubba, because I I didn't know too much about Bishop before this, and I looked into it. I mean, he's rated, a, I think, a 70 speed uh, on the scouting scale, but he had five stolen bases last year in the minors. So um, I don't know, maybe he had nagging injuries or, you know, his, you know, his managers didn't run a lot, but um, – you know, for, for, I, for me to take a, a flyer on like a, a speedy prospect, he would need to be mile straw level where, you know, 70 stolen bases, you know, per season in the minors. It's like, okay, you can't ignore that. Uh, but, you know, I'm, not, I'm first blush, I'm not too interested in Bishop. Yeah, no, he, he did play in that Japan series, didn't do much, but uh, maybe this is what he needs to 
get it going. They still have crowded outfield. He might not even be the everyday guy because they do. Yeah. yeah, they still have D Gordon. They moved Jay Bruce out there this way. Vogelbach can play every day. Uh, the outfield's full at the moment, so he's more of a fourth outfielder as well. So something to keep in mind when looking at Braden Bishop. Um, let's talk Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't like to root against guys. I like AJ Pollock actually as a ball player, but um, I'm starting to get worried these injuries over and over again. He's got an infection in his injured, or usually injured right elbow. <laughs> so he's going to be out for a while. Really no timetable set just yet. So he can't do much there. And he hasn't really been off to a good start this year. But what it does do is now there is no excuse, even though Dave Roberts will probably find one, to not play Alex Verdugo on the regular What's your thoughts on Alex Verdugo kind of look going forward here? Yeah, and I don't know about you, Bubba, but I was when they signed Pollock, I was pretty pissed. Yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. I, I was like, Verdugo's there, uh, get you know full of bats for you know Kike and Taylor and all the other guys. Um, but I'm a big Verdugo fan, so he's 309 career minor league hitter, um, really advanced hit tool, sprays it all around the field, good contact guy. And in the minors, he was kind of in this 150 isolated slugging range where, you know, the power was okay to decent, but not great. But we've seen time and time again, those guys get called up. And then once they get to the MLB ballparks with the MLB juice ball, those, those Lindor types who uh, have a good hit tool end up producing a lot more power than you think. And I think for Dugo fits that mold. So I'm really excited to see, um, you know, if he can start five to six times a week now, um, I'm, I'm buying I'm buying him big time. And, yeah, I, I'm picking him up right now in a couple of my leagues, actually. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Verdugo fan. I'm with you 100%. It's a guy, power speed, not power, a little bit of speed, but power and batting average. Like, he's, he's one of those younger players that's not going to hurt you there, which is kind of hard to find in this era of baseball. Yeah. Um, and when he has had chances to play this year, he's crushed it. That's what's been so yeah, frustrating. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like, what do I got to show to you, Dave? Like, I guess this, this is what I do. But no, you want to keep running out a guy that can't even pick up his bat probably because of his elbow. Um, it, it's crazy. But yes, owning, it's yeah, owning a Dodgers player, I mean, yeah. unless, you know, the, the select three that just get full-time at-bats is one of the more frustrating I like how you set up the select three because I remember doing the previews at the beginning of the season. It was like, okay, you get Cody Bellinger. If Justin Turner's healthy, and that's if. And then, like, Corey Seager. Those are about the only three I can really yeah. put my finger on right now because as good as Muncy was, and I even wrote an article in the preseason, I said his draft price is too high because he's going to platoon. And people are like, no, there's no way. I'm like, have you not watched Dave Roberts do anything? Like, there's like, – yeah. they kept they – kept, they signed David Fries to another deal for a reason. That is called a platoon. Yeah. That is what they do. It is. And um, Freeze is good against yeah. lefties. So yeah. he's going to play against them. Yeah, they follow the statistics. This is what they do. Like, people want to teams to embrace it. They've embraced it. And they go full on with it. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think, pe- I think people get in love with kind of their favorite fantasy players. And, yes. uh, and Jock, there's no bigger example of this than Jock Peterson, who yeah. just has, like, the biggest fan base. Um, and I, I, I don't, I like Peterson, Peterson as a player, but he's played now what four full seasons. It's very clear what he is, uh, and that he's bad against lefties. He's not going to start against lefties, but people still say like, "Oh, he should." Roberts, you're an idiot for not starting him more. It's, it's come on. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's not a guy to face lefties, and that's what sucks. Because yeah, he's fun. He's he's good. Jock jams is a fun thing to see. 
Um, <laughs> it's awesome, but it just doesn't happen because lefties say like he's not like the Giants lineup or the Dodgers lineup. It might be out. I haven't even looked in the last hour. Pretty sure he's not starting tonight against Madlib. Just just a hunch. Just throwing it out there. Probably not happening. But um, yeah, it, the, the Dodgers are tilting, but we sh- should see for now. Verdugo should get pretty quality playing time. And I'm with you. I was I was trying to pick him up in recent weeks because he just had to wait for the other shoe to drop. He had to figure it was coming eventually somewhere on the team. But um, now it's here, and you run with it, and you enjoy it. Uh, Josh Harrison of the IEL, this one isn't major by any means. He's uh, hasn't done a, a ton this year. Do you have any any thoughts on Josh Harrison? Uh, 17 WRC plus. Uh, that good? That's, uh, <laughs> I think, about as bad as you're going to see. I think that's, like, worse than the average pitcher. Um, and then he was pretty bad last year too in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, so uh, unless you're in some weird AL only league or something like that, I, you know, I would have to play two Tigers or something. My <laughs> Detroit Tigers league. My actually, my one thought was, I, I hope it doesn't um, force Goodrum to move to second. Yeah, I'm with you there. Getting uh, outfield eligibility in ESPN leagues. So, uh, but it seems like he's going to stay in the outfield. So that was my one thought. Yeah, that would be nice. I'm with you there. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., he surprised everybody when he made the team on opening day, and he has ran with it. He's been outstanding, and he pulled his groin, or his hamstring, hamstring strain, stretching for a ball on a double play, and he, like, felt like he was playing soccer, like he got shot. Um, Hopefully it's not too bad. You never know hamstring strains. They can vary. But it got Ty France up. Uh, Luis Urias is crushing it in the minors. Any thoughts on this whole Fernando Tatis Padres deal? Yeah, I, I was so – and you said it. I was so surprised that he made the team because when you look at his minor league numbers, he had a lot of swing and miss in his game. and He never played in AAA and he was so young. Um, so for him to make the team and do well is really, really impressive. So it's a real shame that he got hurt. I, they seem really committed to to having him on the team. But in the back of my mind, the only thing I'm concerned about is that, you know, maybe like they're going to like rehab him and then leave him in on an extended rehab assignment or just demote him to AAA so he could lower his service time. Um, but that would be momentary. And I wouldn't be too concerned about, about him. Now, hamstring injuries can linger. So we'll see. Um, but uh, it's hard. Hard to be uh, upset with what he's with he's done so far this year. Really yeah, he's been super impressive. Yeah, very very impressive stuff there. Uh, hopefully he's back soon. If not, Luis Urias might be worth a speculative bid for the week because um, he'll probably someone's got to fill in there until um, Tatis comes back. So it'll be quite interesting there. Um, in my backyard, Derek Holland hits the ten day IL. Um, they're not expecting it to be serious. It's a bruised finger on his left index finger. So I think as long as that heals, he'll be fine. He's been pitching off and on this year uh, pretty good. Usually at home, he's good. On the road, not good. Surprise, surprise. Uh, any thoughts on Derek Holland on the IL? Is he, you know, you're probably not holding him unless you have IL spots, but any thoughts on Derek Holland? He's an interesting guy. I think, what was it? Like midway last year, he kind of changed his pitch repertoire a little bit, started getting more swinging strikes. I, I dug into him. He has a career-high whiff rate this year. He's getting a lot of swings and misses. His slider is um, beastly. He's getting a 47% whiff rate on that. But, um, uh, you know, the boxcar stats haven't been great, and I don't think his fastball is that good. So if you have Holland on your roster, I, 
you know, unless you're in a 20 teamer, uh, I, I would feel completely comfortable cutting him. Um, and then just waiting for him to see, to get back. And then, you know, if he pitches well in his first start and he's still getting whiffs and you're like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll hop back on the train. But for right now, I, he's not a guy he needs to hold. Yeah. His whiff numbers are quite surprising for a guy that doesn't have like over dominant stuff, but um, yeah, pretty interesting what he brings to the table there. And always nice pitching there in San Francisco. So if you can stream him or do stuff like that, he's definitely worth the look, especially in deeper leagues. All right. Last one I got for you here. Griffin Canning, prospect for the Anaheim Angels, made his debut last night, went four and a third, three earned, six Ks against the Toronto Blue Jays. He looked really, really dominant at times, a couple hiccups at times. Overall, what were your thoughts on Griffin Canning's uh, debut, and do you think he's rosterable in fantasy? Um, for the, the As far as rosterability, a definite yes. Um, he's one of the better uh, pitching prospects in baseball dominated the minors and then I mean you could see his stuff just in this start even though he had like you said some hiccups and wasn't very efficient 18 swing strikes on 82 pitches um for an MLB debut that's really really impressive you could tell that his his fastball and his slider he really works to tunnel those well he, he stays elevated with the four seamer and then buries the slider down and away um to righties and then um you know so I think that combination it's going to serve him really well. Also, as a curveball, just seems like you know his control first start out was 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 kind of poor. A lot of balls way off the plate, but probably chalked that up to nervousness. I think he's going to be uh, a stud um, pretty shortly. So, uh, in case he's somehow not picked up in your in your league, I, I would I would grab him right now. Yeah, because in some formats he might not have been available yet because he hadn't pitched in the bigs or whatever. Depends on your league formats. Um, say he's available this week. What kind of fab bids do you think? Like, what percentage of fab would you be throwing out there for a guy like Griffin Canning? Mm, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, especially in, if it's a keeper type league, I, I would I would do a pretty considerable uh, budgetary spend. Um, you know, maybe fifteen percent. Uh, you know, if it's a redraft, you, know, you don't know about innings limits and things like that. I would be a little more conservative, uh, maybe in the ten percent range. But uh, either way, I, I would devote a pretty hefty portion of the budget. Okay, we'll be interested to see where he goes this week because there's been some crazy bidding going on, especially in the world of TGFBI these last few weeks with these prospects coming up. So it will be quite interesting to see how um, Canning goes this yeah. week in leagues, in leagues that people didn't jump early because, you know, there were rumors over the weekend. So some of these guys jumped on him when they could. So we'll have to see. Mo- most, most of my leagues are actually don't have waiver budgets. So I'm kind of – I'm a little divorced from that world. Like what – what are people bidding on, like, say, like the Nate Lowe uh, call up? Like, what what are people uh, devoting from their budget for players like that? See, we'll see Nate Lowe this weekend because that, that dropped on Monday, unfortunately. I, I told someone on my last spot, I was so bummed. I literally had Nate Lowe queued up to bid for like a buck or two because he was tearing up the minors. And I went and I got some other guys I needed to play right away, like Brandon Goodwin and Eric Sogard for cheap because I just needed guys' live bodies. And now oh, yeah. I'm looking back on that, really not happy about it. But um, like Cole Tucker, he went from anywhere from like 100 to 300 bucks. Um, same with Carter Kibu, like he went up to like 400 bucks for Kibu. Some guys are just going crazy. And, and then is it, that it, on it, a thousand? A thousand dollars, yeah. And it's wow. interesting to look. It's interesting to look at because they vary so much. Um, I think one it was. It's either Keyboom or Michael Chavis went as low as fifty dollars in the league and as high as like four forty. It just varied throughout. <laughs> like it, it was crazy how much. Yeah, it was so funny. So, 
Yeah, and that's why I love looking at it. Smata does a great uh, deal on TGFBI each week's fab results. I'll tell you what league the guy came from, all the different bids and everything. It's it's pretty crazy to see just the differences. And um, yeah, so I'm guessing he'll go for kind of. Uh, I think Manny will go for, or it will go, or Canning will go in that. Uh, I'd imagine they from 100 to 200, but I wouldn't be shocked if someone goes real crazy with them. Right. Uh, I I have one league where it's a it's a fab waiver system, and what always seems to happen to me is that I'm normally conservative, but when then I get aggressive on a guy, no one else gets aggressive on him. So it's always great on ESPN. You can see what other people bid. And then uh, our our budget's fifty bucks, and I you know so if you bid fifteen, that's like a lot. And yeah. then the next guy would have bid two, and it's like wow, okay, yeah, clearly that's... I'm not, not good at this. <laughs> no, there's really no exact science. That's what I tell people, and that's why every Monday show I do, we recap like all the main names just because it's good to talk about the names that went through, and then just the different prices because it varies so much. And um, on 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 the NFBC site, it'll tell you what the runner up bid was. But uh, Smata has it built in. You scroll over the price. They'll tell you who, who got it, what league, and who, how much they o- overbid the next guy by. And oh, was, that's cool. And I, know that, I know there was one. I think it was like Emilio Pagan last week or whatever. Someone bid like 190 bucks for him. It was ridiculous. Wow. The next closest bid was like $22. Jeez, that's, that's, that's some – I mean, I love Pagan, but that's some buyer's remorse once you see that. Yeah, that's kind of why we go over it to let people know, okay, this was good, this maybe not so much, because there is no exact science. Like you're saying, like I've been saying, it's pretty crazy. Just it's it's all a women of prayer half the time. Like you have your idea, <laughs> you have your style, you try to learn from some of the best, but there's really no exact science because every league is so different. And you never know. One guy in your league might really, really like certain players and you have no chance to get them. So do, yeah. do certain people try to kind of influence the market and be like, oh, man, I love this guy. I'm going to bid so much on him with no intention of doing that. So they just juice juice the amount that other people have to bid. Probably. Like that, that's what Probably. I would. <laughs> it would make sense to you. Know, it's like playing poker. And it's yeah. like, okay, what yeah, do I have in my hand? Do I have, my, do I have a $2 bid or a $340 bid? Let's find out <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how, bad do you, how bad do you want this guy? Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah, it's just, it's just crazy for it. But uh, yeah, week to week, it's fun. But a lot of guys are spending so much money now. Certain people don't have as much to spend coming forward, mm-hmm. so it'll keep getting more. And we're only on May first right now, so <laughs> it'll be fun. That's that's key. Yeah, uh, let's talk about some guys you've been you know writing about, tweeting about some guys that interest you or some stats that interest you. And we'll kick it off with Herman Marquez. This guy's been – he's been polarizing all over the fantasy world since draft season. Uh, he's been great on the road. He's pitched like most pitchers, even good pitchers, pitch in Coors Field. That's just the way it goes. He had a little hiccup late last night, was dominant early on. Uh, what's your thoughts on what we're seeing from Marquez this year? And he's like, overall thoughts. Is he still this this ace that everyone – like half of fantasy baseball world thought he was coming this season – or is he kind of not quite the ace many thought he was? Yeah, and you bring up an interesting point. I don't think I've seen a more polarized debate than the Herman Marquez debate uh, in, in fantasy circles over the last couple months. I, I mean, I really hitched my wagon to him. I wrote about him over the offseason for pitchers, pitcher list. Um, there's, a, there's a couple things. I mean, first of all, his last 24 starts, uh, 30% strikeout rate, 2.6 ERA, 2.7 FIP, 2.6 X FIP. So any pitcher that does that over 24 starts, just forgetting cores for a second. I mean, that's just elite production. And, um, you know, one of the things I wrote about 
my article on him in the off season was his half season last year was one of, there was only like five other pitchers who had a half season with ERA, FIP, XFIP and strikeout rate that Mar- 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 Marquez had in the last five years. And there were names like Syndergaard, Jose Fernandez, um, Jagram. So like he put himself into a tier statistically that not a lot of pitchers have reached. And that's not proof that he's, you know, cores won't get to him, but I think people focus so much on cores and they lose sight of just like the overall level of how good he has been for a pretty extended period at this point. Um, and, you know, in addition, you know, this year, his fastball admittedly hasn't been working well. He's not getting whiffs on it. He's having trouble locating it at the top of the strike zone and it's giving up some hard contact. But even with that, 290 RA, 34 exit, 14% swing strike rate. Uh, you know, I, it seems like people try to find ways to quibble with his with his output. And, uh, you know, I just think it's missing the forest for the trees a little bit. I mean, this guy has been absolutely unbelievable uh, for, for his last 20, 25 starts. Yeah, in those ter- numbers say a lot. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say in terms of cores, you know, people have to remember that where, where cores hurts pitchers is on fly balls specifically. Cores does not really affect other batted ball types. So cores gives an extra 10 to 15 feet of distance on fly balls from what you would expect. Um, additionally, like the spacious outfield, you know, makes it easier for, for fly balls to drop in for hits. Marquez's ground ball rate is above 50%. It's elite. He strikes 30% of batters out. So right there, that combination, he's negating a lot of the negative effects of cores. And people always bring up, oh, you balled a Jimenez and, you know, maybe the one or two other Rockies pitchers. But if you look statistically, Ubaldo is not even close to Marquez in terms of keeping the ball on the ground and striking people out. Um, Mark, uh, Jimenez walked a lot of people. He um, had a lot of uh, Babbitt and home run luck. Marquez, like, completely has earned all of his performance. And he has, he has a profile that, like, no Rockies pitcher has ever really had. So I think that's why people are having trouble buying in is because they haven't seen it before, but they should remember that Marquez's strikeout rate and ground ball rate, that's a combination that Colorado really hasn't seen. So it, it will be interesting to see over the long run how he adapts, but I, I'm fairly confident that he can settle in as a top 10 to 15 starter uh, over the long run. Yeah, and that like I, I'll be honest, I I was one of the guys that I wasn't against Marquez. I just didn't feel right paying the price that he was it was getting to as draft season kept getting deeper and deeper. Because if you loved him, you had to take him early. That was how it was right. going. And I just can't like I've been we've all been burned so many times from that Coors Field pitcher. And like you said, is we've never seen a profile like this. So um, maybe I was being nitpicky. I know I wasn't the only one, but I'll talk for myself on this. And I, I ended up with zero Marquez. Now I sit back and I watch him. I play a lot of DFS, so he comes into play for me quite often. But I still get nervous of the Coors thing. But like you said, those stats are crazy. You don't see stuff like this from pitchers and Coors. And then on the road, like he's just so good, so electric, that I think we need to start appreciating him for what he is. Now, could it all change? Sure. Like, like time will tell. But like you said, he's done it for, what, 24, 25 starts now, you're saying? That's yeah. pretty darn good. It is. And th- this is more anecdotal, but the other thing is 
So they were both on the road, but in two of his last four starts, once against the Brewers last night and against the Giants, he had perfect games going into the sixth inning. He did that two times in four starts. At the end of September last year, he tied the MLB record for consecutive strikeouts in a game with eight. So he's also just doing these things that just people, pitchers don't do. And so that's just additional kind of evidence of he's, he's got something special going on. Um, If I were to play devil's advocate against him, I would say my one concern is that he relies very heavily on his, on his curve and slider. Sometimes it seems like cores, the curve doesn't work in cores certain days. Um, This would be my, my one concern. And that when he's spiking the curve in front of the plate, and then he has to really become a two pitch pitcher with his fastball and slider. That's how I could see him being exposed. So that's maybe the one area of concern, but I just think overall, I have a hard time saying anything negative about him because he's just been so, so dominant now for an extended period. Yeah, no, he has been absolutely amazing. So it's going to be hard to do. I, I'm starting to, to buy into it. I'm starting to. I'm kind of like telling myself I'm half right because he struggles in Coors. But that's like Captain mm-hmm. Obvious. And then it's like I was half wrong because he's still like so good on the road. So it's kind of one of those those in-between type deals. And I think I'm just going to start appreciating him for what he is. And he's a really, really good pitcher that for now is figuring it out. I like what you said about um, about the uh, the curveball and Coors. We've seen that time and time again that it becomes a massive issue there, um, especially during the summertime. When it gets warmer, the ball flies even more. It seems like it spins even less. So it'll be interesting to see how that keeps playing out with him. But for now, appreciate it for what it is. And what it is is a darn, darn good pitcher. Yeah. All right. Matty Carpenter, you uh, mentioned some Matty Carpenter stuff. Uh, you did a going deep on Matty Carpenter. And the differences in the pitch types you see in this year and what may be a problem going far, going forward what have you noticed so far early on with Matt Carpenter this season? Yeah, and so th- this was an article I wrote a couple months ago for Pitcher List. I was, you know, one day I was just kind of bored and scouring, you know, which hitters see the most pitch types. And I noticed Carpenter is consistently in the top 10 for seeing fastballs. And I thought that was, you know, a little odd because Carpenter is arguably the best fastball hitter in baseball. If you look back and went three or four years, his ex Wobo on fastballs is like 450, which is really good. He destroys them. Additionally, when you look at his historical scatter, like the pitch heat map of fastballs, they're also just concentrated in the middle of the plate. Whereas someone like Harper, you could tell they, they try to stay on the edge. So I said to myself, this, this doesn't make sense. Like how in 2019, 2018, 2019, year of analytics, how are our teams pitching to Matt Carpenter's strengths? Because he's actually very bad on breaking balls. So despite that fact, he was seeing almost more fastballs than anyone else. And I think it was due to uh, him being a leadoff hitter. And pitchers tend to throw leadoff hitters more fastballs. So basically, my article is about how I think you know pitchers are going to adjust and throw them less fastballs and more breaking pitches. And that's kind of exactly what's happened so far over the first five weeks of this season. Uh, he used to see about 65% fastballs. That's down to 58%, which is right in the range of kind of other patient Power guys like Hoskins, Harper, um, Schwarber, they see about 58% fastballs. And he's struggling as a result. And I think, you know, I think finally the, 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 the team's kind of caught up to him, wised up like we shouldn't just be grooving fastballs down the plate to this guy. Um, and so I think 
I, I would say structurally his performance baseline is lower now that teams have woken up. Now, he's also historically been a streaky hitter, so I don't want to attribute all of his um, struggles so far to that, but I think it's hard to ignore that as soon as his fastball uh, rate goes down, he struggles this much. It's pretty interesting that they're throwing him fewer fastballs with uh, Goldie sitting behind him now. You think he'd be getting better pitches to hit, so uh, that's, that's yeah. pretty interesting. That's why that one. That's why it's kind of stood out to me, and I wanted to talk to you about it because I figured uh, I was I was kind of always wishy washy on Carpenter. I thought he had a great year last year. I was I wasn't all in on him doing it again type thing, but I also thought the addition of Goldie sitting right behind him. I'm a big Paul the Young fan. Marcelo Zuna was bound to be better than last year. He's been outstanding. So you have all those factors standing behind him and he's still getting more off-speed pitches, which I guess it's also the ever-changing world of baseball we see now is the pitch exactly. pe- people are paying way more attention to that. So, you know, they don't, they're not afraid to walk guys as much anymore and they're, they're, they're enjoying their off-speed pitches and they're getting better at their off-speed pitches. So yeah. that could be and something to it as well. If you pitch a guy backwards, it's not like, you you know, these pitchers now can throw breaking pitches for strikes, right? So, and that was the most common response when I wrote the article. People said, oh, Carpenter's seeing so many fastballs because he's a patient hitter and oh, maybe, you know, going forward, he'll have good protection. So we'll still see more fastballs, but it's not, you know, these guys these days, like you said, with um, throwing more breaking pitches, they can dot them for strikes early in the count. And so it's not, it's not this binary thing where if he faces more breaking pitches, that means he's going to like automatically get walked more. Um, I think pitchers are good enough today where they can throw a curveball, strike one, all of a sudden Carpenter's behind. And it just changes the dynamics of the at-bat. So he, one other thing about him is that he's just – he's his approach is very one-dimensional. He's kind of like old fly ball. And that's just kind of all he tries to hit. And um, I think there's something about that too that makes him a little more susceptible to breaking pitches as well because it's almost like he goes up there looking for a fastball that he can, that he can pull. And so – Maybe when hitters introduce more breaking stuff, they throw his rhythm off. And, you know, maybe he's not the best reactionary hitter. Maybe he's more of a guess hitter. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think um, I wouldn't expect 36, 37 home runs from him again. Yeah, I'm with you there. Because one thing I noticed this offseason when talking about him on preview shows and just just digging down on on him more, looking at baseball savant last year, he got shifted over like over 95% of the time. Like it was crazy the amount of shifting he had, one of the tops in all of baseball. And I know it's so tough, and I, I understand the arguments of just knock it the other way, and it's not that easy if you're a pro ball player. I get it because you're trying to do certain things at the plate. But if he starts to realize he's a leadoff hitter and they got guys behind him to hit home runs, he doesn't need to hit 30-plus homers anymore, he can take that off-speed pitch the other way and slap singles all day long. I think like what you're saying, his approach to the plate needs to change with the pitcher's approaches to pitching to him. I think once he figures that out, it can be really scary. And it might affect fantasy power-wise, but it will also increase average. It will increase runs scored, maybe even RBIs. So he can really help you in a few other ways. It would be interesting to see how this all plays out. Because if if we can figure this out talking here over the internet, I'm pretty sure that the Cardinals uh, scouts and advanced people can figure this out too. Just a matter of if he does it. Sure. And that's that's a great point. And that's kind of who he was, right? When he he was called up uh, originally. He finished top five in MVP voting one of those years, and I think with 15 home runs or something like that. So that's who he originally was, and he kind of gamed his profile to be this old fly ball power guy. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's maybe time to to adapt and um, 
take more of a traditional leadoff hitter approach, still know that you're going to hit 20 to 25 home runs, but uh, definitely go the other way more and be be more um, robust in, in his approach. For sure. Uh, Chris Paddock, he's lighting the world on fire these days. Every time it's Paddock Day, it's an amazing day. Any guy that can roll into a, a ballpark with a, a suit on and a cowboy hat, I'm intrigued by this demeanor. Um, he's got swag. He, he definitely has swag, and he brings it to the mound, and he's filthy. And they've they've slowly been letting him go. He's gone six innings and three six innings or more in three straight. He's just a quality start now, machine. He's he's awesome. I don't I don't have a ton of other things I can say. I'll leave it to you. But what have you seen on Chris Paddock? Like we know the innings limit's going to come eventually this year, but like putting Quantrill in tonight stretches them out an extra day. So I might buy another start, stuff like that. They're going to do throughout the year. So we might still see him the whole year. He's got to realize two star weeks probably won't happen. But what are you seeing with this kid? Like, is this sustainable? Cause he's been so good. Yeah, uh, it's, I, I think so. So just to, to go back to his minor league career, uh, his, his, his abbreviated, but his, his numbers were just off the charts in terms of ERA, but also strikeout to walk ratio, just really next level stuff. And then so far this year, he's the only pitcher to be in the 80th percentile and swinging strike rate, slugging percentage, expected slugging percentage on contact, and then pitching ahead with two strikes. He's the only starter to be in the 80th percentile or higher in all of those. So he's got the, the trifecta right now, which is command and pitching ahead, swings and misses, weak contact. And so, you know, even if he regresses a little bit, he's at such a high performance level right now that, um, you know, I, I, I think it's safe to say that, you know, his, his bottom is a number two fantasy starter. Um, you bring up a good point though, with the innings limit that, that will rear his head at some point. I also think that if San Diego continues to overperform, it'll be an interesting conversation if they're in a wild card race, right? Um, it'll be the Strasburg conversation all over again. Yeah. And I think with them, you know, promoting Tatis early and Paddock being a pitcher who teams tend to value less um, because they're so inherently injury prone to begin with. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if they're in the wild card race, if they throw them out more than people think kind of ignore the innings limit, but uh, you know, he does it with, he's got primarily a two pitch mix four seamer and change up. Both of those are elite pitches. The four seamer is only about 93, 94 miles an hour, but it has terrific movement and rise and hitters just cannot square it up. The change up is his primarily his, his primary whiff pitch. And then, um, you know, he has a curve that's pretty low spin uh, and he doesn't throw it too often. So he's doing right, doing this right now with two pitches, which is amazing. If he develops that curve, I mean, you're looking at a guy that's a perennial Scion candidate. I'm really like on the, on the paddock bandwagon. Yeah. It's hard not to be on the paddock bandwagon. I had Sammy Reed on last episode. He's a big Padres guy. And he said the same thing basically is they were aggressive to bring Tatis up. They're aggressive to bring Paddock up. There's rumors of more guys coming. They're not going to – if they're in contention, he's pitching. Like, they're going to find a way to pitch Chris Paddock. Um, so it'll be real interesting to see how they do it. But like I said, they're already starting to incorporate it. And this guy, it's kind of must-see TV right now. It's so much fun when it's Paddock Day. And to watch, you know, the, the it's one of the beautiful things when Twitter is a good thing is when stuff like Chris Paddock happens, everyone kind of bonds together and enjoys it. Unlike the cesspool, it can be at other times. But, um, yeah, it's going to be really fun to see how it works out. And that swag is – it's an 11 on a 10 scale. It's outstanding. So. <laughs> it's it's amazing. 
Hopefully the, the cowboy hat's going to make a reintroduction into kind of every day. Yeah, it needs to. It needs to be at least every fifth day. That needs needs to happen for sure. Maybe, maybe him and Bumgarner could like somehow make team up. And, and There's a happen. chance they could start against each other in the same division a couple times this year, so that could be a lot of fun. Dueling cowboy hats. I like yep. it. Yep, they, 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 the, the, the media could have a field day with it if they really wanted to. <laughs> if they really wanted to, they could. Um, talk to me about Jared Eikhoff. He had a great start his last time out. Uh, this year, everybody wanted it to be Nick Pavetta. It was not Nick Pavetta. Jared Eikhoff has kind of rolled right into what people wanted from Nick Pavetta, and he's been very, very good, and he was picked up in a lot of leagues last week for some decent price tags and fab. He's still out there in a lot of leagues as well, especially like 12 teams and less. He's very, very available what is it that you've seen in your research as you wrote a going deep on him and you tweeted out a bunch of other really interesting stuff? What are you seeing on Eric or um, on Jared Eikhoff that makes him, you know, a, what makes you a believer in him? Sure. So I think with Eikhoff, it's important to just have some perspective. So this guy back in 2015 and 16 was a really good pitcher. Um, he had about, I think, a 3 3 or 3 4 ERA combined those two years. And he kind of looked along with Nola like kind of like would lead the rotation. And then in 2017, he was pretty bad and he, he had numbness in his, in his hand, his pitching hand. And he had carpal tunnel syndrome. I think they diagnosed it as, and so he's a heavy curveball guy, overhand curveball. So if you don't have feeling and numbness in your fingertips, that's a problem. And that affected him all throughout 2017. That combined with a strange, a strained back kept him out most of 2018. And people just kind of forgot about Eikhoff. And then he kind of had a spot start at the end of the 2018 season against the Braves where he struck out, I believe it was seven batters in a row, which tied a, a franchise record with Kurt Schilling and Steve, Steve Carlton. Pretty good company. Not bad. So it's like, hmm, okay, that's kind of interesting. It's only one start, but he never did that before in his career. And then he had off-season surgery, uh, exploratory surgery, where they kind of opened up his hand and they found that he had a tendon that was pushing on nerves. Uh, and it was a rare, it was a rare case where, where people have this and they shaved the tendon down and it seems like it's fixed the problem. So here we have Eikhoff back maybe to his 2016-2015 self, but so far in 2019, He's kept that swing and miss that he had in that late 2018 start. Curveball's dominating, but this year, the, the big change, his four-seam fastball is living much higher in the strike zone, and it added over 150 RPMs of spin rate. So if he's now pairing his curveball, which was elite, with a, a high-spin, elevated four-seam fastball, that's where you know his numbers to date – which is like 35% strikeout rate, ridiculous ex-woba. You start really thinking, it's only 20 innings, but maybe there's something here. Yeah, that sounds very, very intriguing. I'm, I'm excited to see where he comes from because I remember those 15, 16 seasons, and even towards the end of last year, he was usable. And I wonder if, you know, we, we talk about pitch mix. I wonder if what changed his mindset if it's the, the launch angle revolution let's throw it higher in the zone type thing on uh, what it is but the spin rates a, a real standout to me that, right. that that came as a huge surprise it's hard to just accidentally luck into that right so exactly you can, you can try to throw something. harder <laughs> yeah you can try to throw harder but that spin rate's pretty 
pretty crazy. Like you said, his 2018, 2019 stats, you, you, you were talking about like a 34% K rate, only a 5.5% walk rate, 15% swing strike rate, XFIP of 282, XWOBA of 228. That's outstanding. That's like uh, really, yeah. really good stuff. Yeah, it's a small sample, but since his start against the Braves at the end of last season, he has the best ex-Wobo of any starter. And again, it's only 20 innings, but, uh, you know, he's been really, really good since he came back. And, um, you know, that curveball, that curveball is, I think, going back four or five years, is the third or fourth best curveball in baseball by a variety of stats. So that's so, that's that's still there. So one would call that a money pitch? That's uh, I would say that's a money pitch. I don't know if it meets the official pitcher list definition of money pitch. But I think it's like you need a certain swing strike rate and zone rate. Yeah. But it's it's as close as you can get. And um, he also has a slider. It's, it's kind of interesting. His repertoire is very, very similar to Herman Marquez's, yeah. uh, where it's a fastball slider curve. And um, the slider is also looking a lot better this year. It's living further down in the strike zone, less barrels. So. Yeah, it's only 20 innings. I'm going a bit on a limb with this guy, but I'm pretty intrigued. And I think if he's available in your league, you should scoop him up immediately. Um, no. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does. Yeah, I'm going to have to go see see if he's still available in mine or not and uh, give him a look because he's been really, really impressive. So that's very interesting. Um, last guy I want to mention here, you, you talk about him quite a bit, is uh, Luke Voigt. And he has been just on an absolute tear of late. What was it you were looking at besides just the you know awesomeness that he is and how hard he hits the ball? What really sold you on this guy as a a must have, must like own type guy? Yeah, and so this my infatuation with Voight and talk about great swag. I mean, Voight's top yes, top of the he's list. He's got some too. He, he buttons maybe three buttons on his shirt. Surprised the Yankees. He likes to air it out. He air, airs out the machismo. <laughs> he he really does, and so he's just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but so. He crushed it with the Yankees last year, right? Uh, he was best ex-Wobo in baseball, best barrel rate, WRC plus, slugging percentage, everything. Um, the, what really got me excited about Voight, though, is when I dug into it, he actually, he's not just this free swinger. He goes up there with a plan. And if you look at his, uh, I believe it was his zone swing rate minus his chase rate. So kind of trying to figure out how selective hitters are. He's one of the tops in the league. He's right there with Chris Davis. They're both kind of similar where they swing and miss a little bit, but they swing at pitches you want to swing at. Like if they see something in the strike zone, they're trying to do damage. And so there's a lot of players these days who are kind of like, they have good walk rates, but their swing rates are really low. And they don't, they don't attack pitches they should attack. Voight is on the attack. And, um, you know, that's what really got me thinking, oh, there's something sustainable here. You know, maybe as opposed to a guy like Muncie, who who had a great stretch last year, but you know there was certainly you know, a swing rate in the zone wasn't great. Um, he popped up a lot of pitches. Voigt also has a pristine batted ball profile. He doesn't pop balls up, goes oppo consistently, which is great being at home in Yankee Stadium to short right field porch. So um, you know, all around, I'm a huge Voigt fan. Are you buying into Voigt doing this the rest of the way? Yes, 100%. Um, and I think one thing people forget, they think that he's this super out-of-nowhere guy. But he was a really good minor league hitter, if, if you look into his numbers. And he was just simply blocked in St. Louis with Carpenter and Jose Martinez at first. So he just – and there was no DH, so he didn't have room. 
um, similar situation to Kristen, Christian Walker in Arizona. And, you know, both of those guys now with opportunity um, in the MLB juice ball and the smaller ballparks are doing serious damage. So I don't know if Voight's going to be like a top five to 10 hitter, but uh, I think top 30, top 20 to 30s, I think you could take that to the bank. All right, let's talk about a couple um, kind of things, you stats you dove in on, and it kind of gave you kind of a mindset on um, things coming out. You wrote a, a piece on two-strike percentage and how it kind of affects the overall production um, for pitchers and hitters. What did you find looking at overall two-strike percentage? Yeah, so that's a stat that basically measures the percentage of pitches that a pitcher throws that are in 0-2, 1-2, and 2-2 counts. And a, a good rate for that would be high 20s, approaching 30% would be considered a very good two-strike rate. And what I found was that, you know, the gold standard for pitching stats now is swinging strike rate. Turns out two-strike rate is just as good in terms of predicting ERA, FIP, strikeout rate, but it stabilizes faster than swinging strike rate, meaning there's less, you know, start-to-start noise. So you can really, you know, use this stat in conjunction with swinging strike rate to try to identify pitchers breaking out before they truly break out. And you can also use it as an additional tool to think, hey, is a certain guy maybe getting a little lucky or unlucky? And maybe one one person I want to bring up is Luis Castillo. He's been dominant in almost every respect this year, but he's pretty close to the bottom of two strike percentage in 2019, around 19%. So what that says to me, Castillo is not throwing a lot of first pitch strikes. He's getting behind. He has the stuff to still get strikeouts and battle back. But when you pitch behind, you immediately put yourself behind the eight balls, a pitcher. Oh, yeah. 1020 counts, barrel rates go up, exit velocities go up. And I just wonder how long any pitcher can sustain, you know, pitching behind and being successful for that long. Because when I looked at the historical numbers, there wasn't a single guy who had a 20% or lower two-strike percentage that was a good pitcher long-term. So, well, like you look at like Luis Castillo, a guy that has been thriving on that money changeup he has. And if that changeup starts missing the zone, when I, when he's pitching from behind and he's pitching with the changeup, he's going to start feeding fastballs. And then we yep. know how that's going to go. So that's kind of what you're saying there. And it makes a lot of sense. That's kind of why he's, he may be quote unquote getting lucky right now, but how that could change uh, sooner than later. If that changeup, if there's a start where the changeup's not hitting, he's in great American small park. It could get on <laughs> real quick. That's um, I think you hit the nail there. It's, it's that the, the pitcher's performance is just a little more fragile when they're pitching in that, in that way. So all of a sudden, you know, you, 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 you maybe don't get a called strike you want and you're down more in the count and then you have to throw a fastball and then you're in a hitter's, you're in a hitter's park already. The, 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 the stat line can deteriorate faster than people think. So that's kind of the, the, the intention and idea behind that stat. Um, maybe you, you guys haven't correlated this yet over at pitcher list, but how does um, – I had Alex on talking about the CSW rate uh, a few weeks back, and it's a great tool as well. There's it's great tools everywhere. But have you guys done any comparisons on this two-strike percentage, which makes a ton of sense on the success rate and, and compared to like CSW, which also has its own validity as well? Sure. I, I actually haven't officially done that, and it's probably something I'll do in the next couple of days because you're right, it's a, a good idea. But I would – my first inclination is that I – 
they'd be really related because what two strike percentage does that swinging strike rate doesn't do is it awards pitchers who are able to get called strikes. Exactly. Right? So, so CSW should probably align pretty closely with two strike yeah. rate. If you were to it should. It. Yeah, it definitely should. That's why I just wanted to ask and see if maybe there's something different, but it should almost be mirror images of each other in the grand scheme of things. So, I think yeah. the one the one thing that two strike rate does, maybe that some of the other stats don't do, is one of the biggest advantages of pitching ahead is that hitters' quality of contact goes down. Yes, precipitously. So when you get to two strikes, exit velocity, um, uh, barrel rate, all of that plummets. So that's so that that's the other side of two strike rate that maybe some of the other stats miss is that while it's intuitive, maybe that people who get swings and misses and call strikes would pitch more in two strike counts. Um, there's certain pitchers who maybe that doesn't work out as much for, but they're getting the benefit of weaker contact. So that's maybe the additional kind of value add of two strike percentage. Hmm. Let me interesting to keep checking that out. Where do you where do you go to find your two strike percentage stats? What which location do you like the best? Yeah, so I uh, baseball savant. So okay. um, you know you go to the search functionality there, and you can um, you can just go to count and check off the three two strike counts and um, Go by pitch percentage. It's pretty easy, and um, and you and you get the the list. And you know we were talking about Chris Paddock. Uh, he is by far the leader in two strike percentage this year at thirty three point seven percent. So other other names leading are Degrom, Scherzer, Chris Sale. Um, so it's 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 not too surprising. But uh, Paddock is is doing really well in that. Shocker, Chris Paddock. Um, other stat you guys got coming up pretty soon that should be really interesting. I like the, the idea here is pitchers, opponent quality, OPP, qual, and it kind of gives you like the worst matchups, you know, guys that have pitched against really good teams. Maybe there's a reason their numbers aren't as good compared to like, you know, we always talk about, hey, this week so-and-so's got a two-star but against the, the Padres and like the Tigers, and you're all excited about it. Well, not everybody gets that luxury. Sometimes you get the Red Sox and the Yankees. So – um, why don't you talk about what you guys got coming up here? As, as you mentioned, you'll have a, a, the metric out on Friday about this new stat. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, calling it right now, you know, just pitcher op qual. And there's, there's a variety of different ways to measure it. Baseball Prospectus has some different ways they measure it. But what we're going to do is, um, you know, what I've done is basically look at all the pitchers, plate appearances for the hitters they faced and taking the cumulative ex-woba for all those hitters and basically attach that to the pitcher. And, you know, most pitchers are in the average range. Uh, but so far this year, there's a lot of interesting people on the outlier list, and Dylan Bundy is one of them. And, you know, I'm not saying by Dylan Bundy or whatnot, but people are kind of crapping on him, but he has faced by far the hardest schedule uh, and uh, hitters thus far. And he has a 352 ex-WOBA for all the hitters he's faced. So, just it's important to anchor that your your impression of the pitcher's performance with that because that makes you think oh well, I know Bundy hasn't been great but okay maybe if he is have a start against a really bad team maybe I stream him uh, whereas someone on the other end Joey Lucchesi um, has like a two seventy x woba against for the for the hitters he's faced so uh, maybe someone like him you know if you're thinking oh should I cut him or should I trade him you think maybe, maybe I will maybe he's less likely to um, you know, improve on his ERA uh, going forward. So th- that's kind of the main thought behind OpQual. And it, it's interesting because people always think of it on a micro start to start level. Like 
this guy's starting against this team. Should I start him or not? But rarely do they look back and kind of see what they've done thus far. And that's what this stat attempts to do. No, I like this a lot because you can, and you can also kind of look like you said for streamability or, you know, your top 10 you got here on the, on your, on your Twitter is, you know, Bundy, Verlander, Bailey, Rourke, Syndergaard, Montas, Carrasco, Odorizzi, Lynn, and Harvey. So, you know, you got your Verlanders, your Syndergaard, you could look at that going, okay, it's been messy, but he's faced some pretty good, good uh, opponents here. But then you also got guys like, you know, Odorizzi who just came off a great start against Houston. Um, and you got guys like Bailey and Bundy who, They've been like mentioned in streamability, but still have been messy. So it, yeah. it's it's interesting to see how this all plays out. You got Matt Harvey. There's so the names, like you said, and on the flip side, you mentioned Lucas and some others. Will be real interesting to see how it all plays out when we get to see this and kind of get a running log of it as the season goes on. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk some April standouts. As mentioned earlier, for those that can't read the calendar, it is May first. So we are a little over a month through the season now since we started in late March. Um, there's a ton of players we could go through. We will not go through all of them, obviously, but um, some of the you know top standouts in hitting and pitching, not like captain, obviously. We don't need to talk about Cody Bellinger and Christian Yellick because that's simple stuff. But um, some guys that kind of stood out this to, to start the season and kind of just your thoughts on how they've done it and if they can keep doing it. You know, Tim Anderson, he's hitting 375 to start the year, six home runs. Um, he's stolen 10 bags already. He's almost to a 10-10 season, and it is May 1st. Obviously, the average won't sustain this way, but can we still expect, you know, at this pace, maybe a, a 20-30 type guy? Yeah, um, and I can be perfectly honest. Like, heading into this season, I was not the biggest Anderson fan. He All his ex-stats were, were bad, and, you know, it almost looked kind of like a fluke. I think he had 50 home runs plus steals last year. Um, but that almost is why I like him now because his floor is really solid. And so his, his, the, so far this year has cut his whiff rate significantly, which is a good, you know, obviously a good sustainable sign. Clearly his Babbitt is going to, Babbitt is going to regress and he's not going to hit this, this well, but all he needs to do is just be an average hitter. And with his steals, he's a really plus fantasy asset. So I, I think 2030, I mean, that's more or less what he achieved last year. So I'm thinking, you know, 25, 25, 35, maybe by, by season's end. So if I'm an Anderson owner, I'm really, really happy I invested in him. Um, I'm kind of pissed that I, I didn't see it coming uh, myself. But uh, you got to like what he's been doing thus far. Yeah, he's been great. I got him last year with like my last pick in TGFBI in a 15-team league. And I loved it. But at the same time, he came out, out the gate so hot, just like this. Maybe they're not as good as this, but really, really hot, and I watched him slowly come back. So finished great in a roto format, phenomenal numbers. But knowing that decline is going to come, and it might not be as severe, he still might hit 280 or 290, but still that's almost a 100-point drop. The homers and the steals are going to be legit, like you said. So that's, that might be worth it alone. Do you try to trade him high right now? Yeah, it's not a bad suggestion. I, I just – it depends on how savvy your league mates are. I mean, I think – I suspect a lot of people would not want to buy high on Anderson, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah. I, I suspect there's a lot of people who are, um, you know, not totally buying into it. So if you can get what you think is a fair haul for him, trade him. But I, I'm skeptical that um, your league mates are, you know, buying in. Because I think a lot of people kind of like what you said, previous owners in the past saw his decline from last year 
are going to be like, eh, I'm not going to give up like real value for him at this point. But if you can get it, I think you're right. Go ahead and do it. All right. Marcelo Zuna, injury riddled season last year. You know, when you looked at his baseball savant metrics last year, the hard hit and everything was still pretty darn good. And this year he is just like, he is bright red when you go to that website right now. And that is amazing stuff. That's a good thing. And he's crushing it. Uh, 10 home runs on the year already. He's uh, driven in 28, hitting 260. It seems like every other day, if not every day, he's crushing a home run or multi-hit game. Just don't watch his outfield. The wall wins every time with him. (laughs) But um, the bat is great. What's your thoughts on Marcel on this first month of action and what he's bringing out there? And could probably continue for the most part. Yeah, I mean, you brought up the the outfield antics. I'd want to own him just for the pleasure of uh, watching (laughs) watching his games and seeing that stuff. Uh, He's... What he's doing right now is really interesting. So uh, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago for Pitcher List on the relationship, like I think I said this earlier, between whiffs and, and, and barrels. And so Ozuna is totally trading swing and miss for hard contact right now. So his whiff rate's up from 24 to 32%. It's a massive jump. But his barrel rate's up from 10 to 19%. Like you said, red on all those Savant stack cast metrics. So he's hitting, he's scalding the ball, but whiffing a ton more, which is not inherently bad that's a trade-off hitters have to make generally um i think that the great thing about it is it shows his shoulder is healthy like he wouldn't be doing that if it wasn't so um a healthy ozuna is a good ozuna and i I don't you know he's gonna have some strikeout issues probably with these with this whiff rate but uh i i think it's you know arrows pointing up for him yeah i'm a big fan of this i was kind of bummed i was waiting for it last year waiting for it and I probably waited too long, but um, it's good to see him really get back on it. People forget he's really not that old, and he was so good in Miami, and he's going to return to that form that got him that that near-MVP season over there in Miami. So good things coming for those in St. Louis. Another this, guy that's kind of – yeah. Desano Zuna, like I, 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 every day that passes, you can't help but laugh more at the Marlins. Well, um, other trades. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> – My goodness. It's uh, – the Stanton trade, you – can kind of get around a little bit because it's like $300 million yeah, true. contract or whatnot, but Yelich and Ozuna. Um, they're, in, they're inexcusable. They, they could have held those guys. I mean, some of the worst asset management, I think, ever. Um, they could have held those guys for another couple of years they had control. And well, uh, The biggest thing is, is they just, they went about it all wrong because everybody that was going to trade with them, they held them hostage because the Marlins were like so desperate and saying how they need to sell. So now no team has to go out there with their best offer. They can just say, you want to get rid of them? Here you go. Did the, I'm trying to remember, did those trades happen before or after the team sold? It was, was it after the, it was Jeter was there. So, okay. So it wasn't even as if the previous ownership was just trying to get all the salary off the books. Like Jeter actually made that decision after buying the team, which is even more inexcusable. Yeah, I think they wanted to gut it and start over because the finances were so bad, which is weird because these guys didn't weren't owed big money, so I didn't get it at all. No, right. So like Stanton was big money, you get it. These guys weren't big money. Uh, Yelich, I think, had a pretty reasonable contract. Um, yeah, I believe so. Uh, um, I don't know. That's just tough to be a <laughs> fan at this point. Yeah, it's tough. Like it, eventually it'll get better, but you got Tampa Bay doing good things because they want to run a farm system and a ball club, even on the cheap. They figure that out. The Marlins are trying to figure that out, and we'll see how that goes. 
But uh, let's talk about another guy that's kind of re- rejuvenated his life. Uh, Jordy Springer hitting 274 with nine home runs, 24 RBIs out of that leadoff spot. He scored 21 runs. He is fantasy gold round, even stole three bags. That's something we missed from George recently. Yeah. Uh, we're still on bases. Like he is filling every stack column. He was going rather late compared to where you'd expect George, like the, in previous seasons in drafts. What are you seeing here with uh, Georgie Springer? Yeah, it's, it's good to see. He seems right back in that 2017 form. And, uh, and maybe we should have seen this coming more because you just think this guy is a fixture at number one in the Astros lineup. And he had some nagging injuries last year. He had a sore shoulder. He had a hand issue that was kind of depressing his output. And he seems to be healthy and he's crushing it. Hard hit rate of 58% on Savant, which is up from around a 40% rate the previous two years. So, you know, he's hitting the ball so far this year, you know, better than he has maybe at any point in his career, maybe outside of mid-2017. So I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, and like you said, if, if he starts, you know, even if he gets a double-digit steals, I mean, you can see a guy who returns top 20 value by the end of the season. Yeah, because I think most of us, and yes, the injury concerns were were big and maybe we didn't factor in. He's still so young. If he gets healthy, that's great. But I think most people were giving up on stolen bases ever returning to George Springer just on recent years. And to get that extra production is going to be amazing. So really, really good stuff there. Let's go to Pig Pete Alonzo. We talked earlier about the Tatis and Paddocks joining on opening day. Pete Alonzo started the year up as well, and he has earned every bit of it. Hitting 292, nine home runs. He scored 20 times and driven in 26. He's been very, very good, um, and he's hitting second in that Mets order. There's no moving him away. Like there's, He's not seeing the minors again unless it's a rehab assignment. What's your thoughts on Pete Alonzo? Yeah, and this I really like Alonzo. Um, this is actually my, my, my second article ever for Pitcher List was on him back in December, and – this was maybe like, I don't want to say it was obvious, but when you look at what this guy did in the minors in terms of his power output, and then just anecdotally at the Futures game last year, he hit a ball at a certain exit velocity. I think it was like 114 miles an hour, but at a launch angle of 43 degrees, which is super high. And that combination had never occurred in stat cast history before. And then in the Arizona Fall League, he was – he hit a 103-mile-per-hour pitch for a home run. He had 117-mile-per-hour exit velocity. So, you know, I, I don't want to say it was like this guy, I and mean, he's very he's legit. He's legit. He's been doing it for, for years in the minors, and it's exciting to see him do it in the majors. I mean, I don't know if you saw the home run he had against the Cardinals a couple weeks ago. He took a pitch that was maybe seven to eight inches below the strike zone. It, re- it reminded he, me of Vlad Guerrero Sr. Yes, and he hit Just, it. Yep. 430 to center. Who does that? Who does that? Only a man that's country strong like Pete Alonso. Yeah. He's he's thick. He's hashtag thick. He with with two C's. He's like he definitely seems like he knows how to like work a plow on a farm or something. He is he is the horse that pulls the plow. Him him and Voight. Him and Voight probably could should start their own farm or something, dairy farm. But you know, his K, his K percentage is starting to creep up. I think the book on him was that he struggled with breaking pitches. So I think his whiff rate on breakers is 45%. It's pretty high. It's not, you know, it's not going to nuke him, but he's starting to struggle a little bit. But just the, the how hard he hits the ball outside of Joey Gallo, I don't think anyone hits it harder. So uh, I, I'm, 
hard, hard. I, I think Alonzo is, you know, you should be really happy if you have him and uh, maybe try to trade for him too, if you can. Pete Alonzo or Luke Voigt rest of the season? Ooh. So, a couple of people have brought this up to me, and I, I, I'm a Yankee fan, so let me just put that uh, out bias there. Bias attached, okay. Bias, <laughs> bias attached. Uh, uh, I'm going to say Luke Voigt. Here's why. For the rest of the season, I'm going to keep league. I'd clearly pick Alonso. Voigt has a more mature approach at the plate than Alonso does. Uh, he, you know, he, he makes better swing decisions. His whiff rates are lower, and he plays in a better home ballpark. So I think those factors for this year – by the end of the year, I think Voigt's going to edge Alonzo a little bit and stats like slugging and OPS and all that. So I, I would take Voigt with the caveat that if you're in a keeper league or, or something like that, uh, definitely go Alonzo. All right, let's go back to the White Sox. Tim Anderson's kind of shocking us all. Yohan Moncada, we knew the hit tools were always there. The hard hit rate's always been great, but the strikeouts have been a disaster. He's cut back on that quite a bit this year. He's hitting 314 with six homers already on the season, and he's even stolen two bags playing really, really well, and it's kind of the Yohan Moncada people wanted to see, the one that the White Sox traded Chris Sale for. Do we believe that he's really made these adjustments at the plate, or is this like a sell high and, and get what you can right now type guy? Yeah, I'm I'm really upset that I, I don't have any shares in Moncada. I'm really upset about that because I, I wanted to draft him. But here, here's why I, I buy in. So his plate discipline, he always was a guy who walked a decent amount but also struck out. But he did it on the back of this fit approach where I think he he led baseball maybe and called strike threes last year. I'm not totally sure about that, but he was certainly up there. And he just didn't swing a lot. And he kind of backdoored into walking by not swinging. But this year that's changed completely. He's much more aggressive with the plate, swinging at balls in the strike zone. And his whiff rate's gone down in the process. So that combination – you know, for just forgetting the exit velocity and power numbers and all that, that combination makes me feel good about him reaching a new level. And then you layer on top of that third best exit velocity and, um, you know, home runs and all that. And yeah, it, I, I'm buying. All right. Buying on Yoan Moncada. I like it. There's a lot to like there when it comes to Moncada, the last hitter we'll talk about. And again, there's tons of guys that have had great starts the year. We're not going to hit them all. We'd be here till Sunday if we really wanted to get into it all. But uh, you mentioned his name just a second ago, Joey Gallo. And it's always been the thing with Joey Gallo. People said if he can hit 220, he's going to be a fantasy machine. Well, folks, he's currently hitting 264 with 11 home runs on the season, driven in 26. His OBP is 398, which he's always been a big OBP guy. He is literally destroying baseballs. He went deep again today. He had a 470 footer yesterday. The dude is a monster, and his stat cast tools are just insane. Are you believing, like, we are seeing Joey Gallo hit for average, which makes him. Uh, potentially a superstar in the fantasy world. Yeah, I'm a big Joey Gallo fan. Um, another guy wrote an article on the offseason. I, I think so, what he's doing right now with hitting the baseball in terms of distance and exit velocity is just it's unbelievable. His average exit velocity is 99 miles an hour, first in baseball. Exit velo and fl- uh, flies and liners, 102.5, first in baseball. Barrel rate, first in baseball. Um. To throw a little cold water on it, though, his whiff and strikeout rates are exactly the same as they were last year. So uh, if you're saying – I don't know like if he can sustain just this next level output on balls in play. Um, but like you said, he did, it's not like he needs to reinvent the wheel. 
He just needs to swing at a couple less bad pitches, make a little bit more contact, and he's all of a sudden, you know, a top 25 player in fantasy, uh, depending on your format, OBP, top 25, average, top 50. But I, I like him. I just – I wouldn't think he's – I don't think he's reached some new level with the underlying whiffs and things like that. But, you know, enjoy, enjoy the streak while it lasts because he's a really fun player to watch. Yeah, it's been crazy what he's done here of late. But uh, would you think about selling high on him? Because there's a lot of guys that love him. He's, people are infatuated with Joey Gallo. So name value alone in this hot streak, you could probably get a nice return. Would you be willing to do that, or would you rather hang on and enjoy the ride? Probably depends on your league format. Um, if you're in an average league, I would definitely do that. If you're in an on-base percentage league, I'd probably hold on to him. But in an average league, if he's not a 265 hitter at this yeah. point, you know, he's, he's a, I think last year was a 205 or 210. He's, like you said, 220 to 230. So if you can find an owner that's buying into him suddenly, like revolutionizing his approach, um, probably be smart to sell. Nice. Let's talk about a handful of pitchers here. Uh, Tyler Glass now has just, you know, once he got traded last year, and talk about bad trades, uh, when he got traded with um, Austin Meadows for Chris Archer, and we wow. always forget there's another prospect involved in that deal. It's still very, very good as well. Um, Glass now, he was great last season, and he's picked it up again. He's got five wins on the year, um, a one seven five ERA, and just 36 innings of work with 38 strikeouts. He's been very, very good. Are you buying into Tyler Glass now, or are you selling high right now? I'm buying in. Um, I have a bunch of glass nose shares and I, you know, just from an anecdote, he's so fun to watch. Um, he's a throwback pitcher and that he works quickly, throws mostly fastballs and just bears down and basically says to the hitter, I don't think you can hit it. As far as how sustainable that is, I, I'm, what I'm hopeful for is that, you know, one, he gets a good amount of whiffs Two, his fastball uh, has the highest effective velocity of any pitcher in baseball. So he already throws it hard, but since he's so tall, when he releases the ball, there's less time for it to go to home plate. So what hitters are perceiving is the fastest fastball in baseball. And he has two different uh, versions of it. He has a cut fastball, which is at 97. Most cutters are at 91. He's at 97. But he also has a rising fastball that he dots on the top of the zone. And then he pairs that with a curve, an elite curveball. And so... Um, you know, I think he's gotten maybe a little bit fortunate by some of the, the underlying metrics so far, but it doesn't seem like hitters can hit his fastball. And that makes me, um, you know, think it's legit what he's doing so far. Uh, he seems very, very legit. So I'm, I'm mad I don't have much of him. I have a little bit, but not, not nearly as much as I'd like. Uh, he's going to be very, very good. And they need it right now. Snow got beat up again today. He's, uh, he's, he's good, but obviously he's not going to be as good as he was last year. But you match Snell up with Glass now, and that's a heck of a one-two punch. Especially, Morton. Like, yeah, let's say we get Charlie Morton going and, you know, Jalen Beeks is starting to throw well. He was once a higher prospect in the Boston system. Uh, there's there's a lot to like there in Tampa yet again. So And then uh, don't forget about Brett Honeywell. Yeah, so, he might be back uh, later this year for them. Very big. So, yeah. yeah, Tampa doing Tampa things. Pretty much, pretty much. Let's go to your backyard, the, the, the New York Yankees or your fandom, the New York Yankees. Domingo Carmon started out this year and people were expecting him him to kind of fill in for a little bit until some injuries came back. But he looks like he's got a stable spot in this rotation right now. 5-1 on the season, 32 Ks and 31 innings pitch with a 2.56 ERA. Currently the sixth-rated player on ESPN's player rater for the season. He's been really, really good. The pitch mix has been outstanding. 
Uh, what are you doing with Domingo Herman? Are you worried eventually they're going to cut his innings or they're going to get, you're going to get replaced with someone that's healthy or do you just ride this one out? I think I'm riding it out. And, you know, Herman teased this last year. He struggled a little bit, you know, with his ERA, but he definitely teased elite stuff. And he has good velo, but really, and you touched upon it with the pitch mix, his curveball, he throws, which he throws more than any other, any other pitch is elite. It's one of the game's best. He has a 45% whiff rate on it. And uh, the big difference this year, I think, is now he can throw it for called strikes as well. It's allowing him to get ahead of hitters better. I'm, I'm a big Herman fan. You pair that with a 94-mile-per-hour fastball, uh, and the results are good. Maybe one thing I'm a little concerned about is that, you know, his, he's definitely overperforming his WOBA of 210 uh, versus ex-WOBA of 280. says that he's going to regress a bit. But uh, I, I'm a big Herman fan. Um, it's it's fun watching him pitch every fifth day as a Yankee fan. Yeah, most definitely. And the last guy I wanted to mention about on the mound is Mike Miner because he's been really good this year. He's had a couple blowups, but pitching in Arlington can do that to you. But 39 Ks across 40 innings pitched and a 288 ERA is really, really impressive. When he's been on, he's been really, really on. So what are you doing with the guy like Mike Miner? Because um, some of his peripherals, stats and X stats and everything kind of suspect this might be a, an illusion one would say yeah I'm, I'm holding him because uh it's not like anyone is going to trade like i don't think anyone's going to give up real value for mike minor but there's one thing in his profile i really like and it is he's ramping his change up and so minor always struggled against right-handed hitters um for whatever reason and so this year he's ramped his change up from about 14 to 26 percent usage and it's interesting. He's thrown 151 changeups, 150 to righties. So he's clearly using this exclusively against righties as a way to get him out. And he's had a lot of success with it this year. So that's the one change that makes me buy more into minor um, moving up a level. I don't think he's going to be, I don't, I don't think he's going to stay where he is now, but I don't, he's ownable at this point. He's not just a streaming guy, you know, and kind of figure it out the, tune issues so um i wouldn't trade him i wouldn't drop him i would just be happy trotting him out there as your maybe fourth or fifth starter yeah no i i have him on teams i've sat him a couple times this year but all in all he's been really really good and i don't think he gets the appreciation he deserves for what he has in that arm but uh, it'll be interesting to see how it keeps going as it warms up in arlington and because uh, if he's off he gets beat up pretty good so it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out uh, let's talk about a couple guys that had kind of rough starts so far to the season in the month of April. One is Justin Turner. He's picked it up as late. He's hit safely in four straight games. Um, he's gotten it going there, but still only hitting 279 on the year. You hope for a little more from Justin. He had his first home run of the year last night in San Francisco. So before last night, no home runs on the season. He's just slowly getting it going. Are you okay waiting on just like a point oh five eight ISO is less than ideal? Um, are, you, yeah. are you okay with Justin Turner? <laughs> are you concerned? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I have him in pretty much every league, and I was going nuts because there just there were no extra base hits. Um, but I I'm I like Turner. You know, if you look at his X stats, three seventy two X woba, his average exit velocity is higher than it was last year. Definitely getting unlucky. And he, he's a streaky player, you know, in the second half last year, he was not quite Yelich territory, but he was maybe probably the fifth, fourth or fifth best hitter in baseball. So he, he's a player that kind of has his ups and downs. Um, you know, the plate discipline's still there. The X stats are still there. So 
I, I was kind of I started benching him on my rosters, but he's he's back in there every day, and I think you're going to see a really good um, rest of the spring from him. Yeah, I'm with you. He's one of those that you kind of always. Uh, he's such a good pure hitter is the best way yes. I can say it. So you need to kind of you know enjoy him while you can and, and go from there because I think there's a lot to like with a guy like Justin Turner. Uh, we could talk about his teammate. Corey Seager, who I was anti everything going into this season, talking Corey Seager because I just didn't believe the injuries and the health concerns and all that good stuff. And I'm not ever, I'm not taking a victory lap by any means, but he's coming out very, very slow. Hitting 236, um, two homers on the year. He's driven in nine runs. He's doing, he's doing okay, but nothing special. Not the kind of Corey Seager you'd want. Um, what are your thoughts on Corey Seager right now? Yeah, I think you're pretty uh, on the money. I, I was opposite. I was kind of a Corey Seager fan heading into this year, but I think you're right. The 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 elbow issues and the other nagging, he always just seems to have nagging injuries. Um, exit velo down by almost three, mile, three miles per hour. Whiff, whiff rate way up. Um, you know, he, he probably has a lock on, on playing every day, but – um, there's nothing to really like at this point about what he's done, but you know, you're holding him if you have him, but it's kind of this annoying situation where he's probably a starting shortstop and you just kind of, you got to grin and bear it and hope that he, he figures it out. But, uh, the early, the early results are not good. Yeah. Not good at all. Um, yeah, I, I I'm worried if I'm a, um, a Corey Seager owner, let's go to another one. Uh, Cleveland traded for Jake Bowers in the Yandy Diaz deal. Obviously, Tampa Bay is, again, winning that trade at the moment. Uh, Jake Bowers kind of getting it going of late, though. He's hit safely in six straight games in eight of his last nine. He's hitting 241 with three homers on the season. Um, are we good with, with Bowers? Is he still figuring it out, or are you concerned with what you're seeing from Jake Bowers? Uh, I'm not a huge Bowers fan. I mean, a lot of people are pointing to his improved plate discipline this year in terms of his chase rate and whiff rate, which have all gotten better, but – uh, like I mentioned earlier, there's a definite um, give and take between whiffing and hitting for power. And people always think, oh, this player improved his whiff rate, so it's amazing. But Bowers is just doesn't hit the ball hard. Um, and he hasn't now for, for in 2018 and so far this year. So, um, you know, I, I guess there's sneaky steal upside because he did steal some bags in the minors. But I think there's a lot of other players probably on, on your waiver wire that are more deserving of your attention. Yeah, I, I can feel that there. I, I wasn't a big Bauer guy. I know some guys that were coming in the draft season and it hasn't quite panned out the way everyone was hoping it would. This is one I was excited about, and it has not panned out at all. Yasiel Puig getting a buck 92 on the season, four home runs. He's got three steals, which is nice. But again, a buck 92, way less than ideal. A 245 Woba on the season, a 48 WRC plus. All of these less than ideal, Nick. Um, are you buying in on, on, um, Puig as in he's, he's going to bring it together? Are you concerned? I think I have to buy in. I, I, I was like you, I, before the season, I, I was convincing myself that he would deliver Acuna type returns. That's how on board with Puig I was. Um, and it's really frustrating to watch him. It just seems like sometimes at the plate, like I don't, he just swings at curve balls that bounce four feet in front of home plate. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, but there's enough history there that I think you have to you have to wait it out. Um, yeah, like you said, all the stats look bad, whether you look at his traditional stats or his X stats. But um, I think you got to wait it out because the power speed combo 
that's a rarity these days. And if he gets full plate appearances, 30, 20 is, you know, that's, that's within reach. So um, it's frustrating, but I, I think you got to exercise patience with Puig. All right. Let's go to Nick Castellanos, another guy that a lot of people were high on. I, myself included off to a really slow start this year, but he's hit safely in 10 of his last 12 with about four or five multi-hit games on there. He's hitting 273, you know, 334 ISO or uh, WOBA is all great, but only two home runs. He's, he's get 10 doubles. He's not getting the power you'd hope for from Castellanos. Are you okay with what Castellanos is doing or do you see something improving? What are your thoughts on Nick Castellanos? Yeah, I, I, I've always liked him, but there's, there's one thing people overrate him is they see that his, um, he always un, he underperforms his X stats. And so, but the thing is, he does that every year, and it's because his home ballpark, um, he plays in Comerica, which has this really spacious center field. And Castellanos hits a disproportionate amount of fly balls to center, right center, that just get eaten up in Comerica. And so, you know, it, I faded him for those reasons. If you are an existing owner, I think the upshot is you, he's a very good all-around hitter. Sprays the ball all around, still still relatively young. So I don't have – I think, you, like, the power is going to come back. Some of those doubles will convert, convert to home, home runs. But for anyone kind of expecting him to take that next leap into 30 home run, 100 RBI, 520 slugging area, I don't think it's going to happen. So, um, you know, but I, I do think he'll bounce back and put up respectable numbers. All right, let's talk about um, some pitchers here. Zach Wheeler is off to a dreadful start. I was a big Zach Wheeler proponent coming into the year. I thought he was going to be great. He has given up three or more runs in four of six starts. He's just coming off a beat down against Cincinnati. He's still giving you innings. He's, he's battling it out for you. He's getting your strikeouts for the most part, but a 505 ERA, 409 XFIP, still not ideal. What's your thoughts on Zach Wheeler? I'm not a huge fan, um, and I, I kind of deviate a little bit from my pitcherless brethren on this. You know, so Wheeler's calling card is uh, his fastball and his slider, and last year he got really good at, at dotting that fastball up and in on hitters, induced a lot of weak contact. But the problem is, is there's not a lot of swing and miss to his game. So going back to August of last year, when Wheeler was good, his swing strike rate's 8.5%. His chase rate's 27%. Those aren't good numbers. So I think Wheeler got way too much helium for, for his underlying skill set. Um, you know, with that said, he will bounce back from his, you know, five ERA. I just wouldn't expect to get it. Don't expect the top 20 pitcher. I think, like you said, he'll give you six. Probably get you a decent amount of quality starts, but you're going to be less impressed with the strikeouts and the ratios than maybe you thought um, going into the season. Do you believe Walker Bueller finds it this year, or is he going to be struggling? Or and and or like, do you believe Bueller or Wheeler basically has a better season to come season's end? I probably go with Bueller just because Wheeler has a lot of history. So we kind of he got better last year. We kind of know what he is. Bueller has. Tons of upside. Eviscerated the minor leagues. High octane fastball. Great spin on his breaking pitches. Um, right now, he has a fifty-five percent strand rate, which is you know really unlucky sequencing luck. So I, I would pick Bueller out of those two. I'm a big Bueller fan. 
Okay, let's go to Pittsburgh. Chris Archery's on the IL right now, but it's been a rough start. Um, 4-3-3 ERA, 4-6-9 XFIP. He struck out seven or more in his first three with his last two starts at the Dodgers and home against the Giants, only three and two strikeouts respectively. He's scuffling quite a bit. Um, what's your thoughts on Chris Archer? Because I just don't see him ever coming back to that kind of ace that people remember. I think you're right. And you know, speaking of a pitcher who we have a lot of history on, I mean, Chris Archer is out at this point. And we have three straight years of ERAs well above his indicators. And, um, you know, he's really a one-pitch guy. I mean, his slider is elite, but his fastball gets knocked around. And then, you know, he has so many games where he gets 13 swinging strikes and 12 of them are on his slider. He just doesn't have the diversity in the pitch repertoire to be – um, anything more than I think a number three starter in a rotation and a back end starter on a fantasy team. Yeah, no, it, it's pretty it sucks is the best way I could say is what's going on there. This sucks, but uh, yeah, he's not you, that guy you, anymore. You brought up that trade. I mean, it's like, it's hard. It's hard to really imagine how badly Pittsburgh lost, uh, lost that trade. I mean, if yeah, they had I, I really don't, now I don't see what they were thinking there. I really don't get it. I don't know whether they thought maybe Ray Searage, pitching coach, could somehow sp- sp- sprinkle some dust on Archer, you know, and, and rejuvenate him. But uh, it's not it's not looking great right now, that's for sure. Yep, no doubt about it. Uh, last guy we got here, Victor Robles. I was very, very high on him coming into the season. I'm still sitting okay with him. I'm curious your thoughts here. 255 average. He does have five homers, seven stolen bases to start the year. He's been batting second in the top of the lineup the last few weeks. Uh, 226 ISO, 330 Woba. What's your thoughts on Victor Robles right now? I think uh, I, I, does, I am telling everyone who has Robles to sell because, yeah. yes, and I, I know you. he just got promoted to the top of the lineup. You like the steals. In his career, he has a 344 Woba, 278 X Woba. I get he's a fast guy, but you don't overperform that much by being fast. He does not hit the ball hard. 81 mile per hour career exit velocity is really bad. That's like the line of DeShields territory. And hard hit rate of 26% is also really bad. And he's striking out. So, and I know this for the Fantasy Pros article, right? He has now back-to-back weeks of finishing in the bottom 10 of XWOBA the last two weeks. So I think if you're in a redraft league, I would try to trade him hardcore. If you're in a keeper league, um, obviously it's long-term value, and I wouldn't necessarily advocate that. But in a redraft league, I think I would, get, I would try to get value for him right now because you probably could. Um, I know it's probably kind of a controversial take, but if you look at all his X stats, it's not, it's not pretty. No, I like that because I'm a huge Robles guy. I've been ride or dying with him, but when you point stuff out like that, it's good for the listeners to hear because it's a uh, – it definitely does point to things we, we, we try to say about other players. Why does it not, it not apply to a top prospect as well? So I, I totally agree with what you're saying there, and it's good you bring that up. Uh, I don't know if I can pull the trade trigger yet, but I do agree with everything you had to say. So maybe I'll look at it some more, and eventually eventually I'll do something because the name value alone will still get you a pretty good return right now. Yeah, and I think people would look and see that he recently got promoted to the top of the lineup. And in terms of – Trading a player who might be on a downswing over the next two months, he's probably the you could get the highest return of any player like that for 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 Robles. So, 
Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I would encourage everyone to do their own research. Um, it just, you know, really stuck out to me. Um, yeah, I like that. Well, all I'd say, look at his exit velocities and just com- compare that to like the bottom of the exit velocity list and see the other names that are there. And that, that will kind of give you perspective. I'm really scared to look now. I'm really scared <laughs> after hearing this because yeah. it's going to ruin me. It's, I can already tell make, sure, make sure you're sitting down. Um, <laughs> no heavy machinery. Uh, that's going to be scary. I'm, I'm terrified at the moment. Uh, a couple quick notes while we were recording here. They announced AJ Pollock is going to have elbow surgery to remove fragments from previous surgeries. That's not a good quote, but that is a direct quote from one of the LA beat writers. So he'll be out for a little while. There's no timetable for the return yet. So it is definitely Alex Verdugo's season, everybody. Enjoy. Um, and then also, Corey Kluber was having a rocky start there against the Marlins of all teams. And Brian Anderson had a line drive right back up the gut, off his elbow. Kluber picked it up with his glove and threw to first and left the game. So keep an eye on that one. Um, that could be just another tragic IL talk on next episode of Vince with Bubba. But, um, yeah, that's the latest and greatest there. Any final thoughts, Nick, and uh, letting everybody know where they can find you and what you got going on? Sure. So, you know, if you want to track my stuff, uh, make sure to come to Pitcher List every day. I write Mondays and Fridays, uh, Fancy Pros on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Nick Jurley PL. Um, you know, it's, it's really exciting time just in the season. We're now five weeks in. So you, you kind of have uh, enough data now to start making real determinations about you know, which players should I hold, which should I sell, who are some guys who are, you know, under the radar. So, um, you know, in case anyone listening doesn't use baseball savant, make sure to start learning how to use baseball savant because uh, it's, yep. it's leaderboards are great. Nice and pretty to look at, but it's search functionality is also really outstanding. And you can, you can learn some really interesting things about guys. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And Bob, I just want to thank you for, for having me on the, the podcast. This was a, a lot of fun, a lot of fun talking to you. And you know, I think we covered some good ground. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I echo everything you said, go check out picture list. The guys are great. There's a reason I have a lot of them on the show because they're awesome guys with super, super knowledgeable guys. So um, I learned stuff when I, when I have all these guys on and Nick was no exception there. I'm really excited to see um, the new stats you guys rolling out this Friday on the pitchers, um, you know, opponents stats there with the Wobas, next Wobas. And then I'm going to look at more of that 2% or two strike, two strike percentage and uh, check that yeah. out. Cause I, I do like finding all these correlation stats. I mentioned CSW, I've had other guys on talking about like X, X for home run rates and all these different ways to correlate and they're all good in their own rights and how we can work together with them will make us all better analysts and, and, and better players of the fantasy game. So I'm always excited to, when guys have new stuff to talk about to have them come on and, and, and just discuss it. Cause um, for many that have listened to the show for a long time, know I was, you know, that anti X stats or anti new age baseball uh, type stuff for a long time. And over the last three years or so, I've really started to embrace it and enjoy it and realize the usefulness of it. So um, it's very good to see all these new things coming out, and I, I enjoy it. So thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll definitely do it again sometime because uh, it's a lot of fun chatting with uh, guys I don't really know too much in the industry as I get to know them, and I like having them on more and more. So we will definitely do this again sometime. Sure. It's an absolute blast. Just let me know. Will do. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 167 with Nick Jurley of Pitcher List and Fantasy Pros talking some April Fantasy Baseball standouts. Catch you guys later.